meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast. I'm Dave Etler, presiding over this little pocket of safety in a country that is trying real hard to burn itself down this week. <laughs> uh, with me today are John Pienta, Hello. Mark Mubarak, Hey, Dave. Rob Humble. Hello. And Amy Hansen. How y'all doing today? Guys, I'm fine, <laughs> by the way. Guys, it's been a hell of a week, though. As we record this, it's only been a couple of days since Donald Trump was elected our country's president. And while he has quite rightly adopted a more moderate tone in recent days, thus far it hasn't been enough to stop people around the nation from doing shitty things to each other. And uh, I think we're all feeling things um, this week. And I wanted to talk about those things. And I also wanted to, I, I do want to caution uh, everybody in the room and, and even our listeners. I, I think what's more important, my personal opinion, and you guys can jump in here anytime. My personal opinion is that at this point, it's best to focus on the, um, the, the, the voters. Um the people who either voted one way or another, um, the people who uh, felt uh, maybe disenfranchised by uh, politics in this country. I don't want to focus so much on candidates. I don't want to focus so much on their, uh, you know, positions. I'd like to sort of maybe take a minute to, to think about the other people who aren't like me, people who don't think like me um, and, and, and see where that takes us. Because usually I avoid politics on the show, and I'd like to continue to do that <laughs> because, I, I, you know, it's, it's just a very awkward subject. Um, but I do want to hear your thoughts on all this and maybe a bit about your ideas for the next four years. Listeners, I want to hear from you, too. Uh, what are you seeing after the election? Have there been any, you know, uh, incidents that make you uncomfortable since then? I think we're, we're all hearing about stuff in, uh, in the news right now that uh, make me uncomfortable. Uh, what other derbis have you seen out there? Or has it been quiet where you are? Are you upset? Are you pleased? Why? Sound off at 347-SHORT-CT. That's uh, 347-746-7828. Um, we may not agree with each other, but we will certainly offer our thoughtful attention in a way that you might not be used to. Does anybody have any thoughts to start us off here? I do. <laughs> yes, Rob? I'm, I'm exhausted. Yeah. It's been a really long week. And it's been really, really hard to focus when you have uh, a lot of preoccupying thoughts. Um, what are the What are some of the things you've been thinking about? I guess I I misunderstood. I I didn't really I didn't really see this outcome coming, and I thought I had a good handle on the people that disagreed with me like how they felt and why they felt it but i i guess i underestimated i mean not not just their numbers but uh i miss i miss i misjudged and like so realizing that was uh i guess unsettling because i i like to think i have a good pulse on things generally and i like to think that i'm open-minded and i listen to people that disagree with me but I missed something and I'm trying to figure out what that is. Yeah. I don't think you're alone in, in that. Can I ask a question, Rob? Sure. So one of the things you were saying was, you know, you had a feeling that you understood kind of opinions different from yours before the election. What, you, what was your understanding before that? So if I were to talk to Rob of Monday night, what would he have said of individuals that had voted different? Um, I, I thought that largely people were conflicted about the last, the last eight years and how rapidly things were changing. And I thought that more people were on board with the idea that we live in a fast paced world and we have to roll with that change. And that didn't turn out to be true. Mm -hmm. So I think you're 
Are, are you talking about um, uh, uh, social issues like, um, you know, you know, gay marriage? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Partially. I mean, uh, there's I mean, we've seen a rapid uh, diversification of the country. We've seen uh, a lot of movement on social issues, even in the last four years. Um, it's kind of been blinding. Oh, it has that that yeah. pace of change. Um, and I think it was all happening really quickly. And as I mean, people, uh, we we kind of get in, we get, we do get in our own bubbles. We don't like to be around people that disagree with us. And Iowa City's a nice bubble. It is. It is a nice bubble. Um, and, and, and you end up you end up like detached from mm-hmm. part of part of part of the country you belong to and i i think because yeah because of that i i felt a little blindsided tuesday night yeah well i mean and and the thing is you know like when you say iowa city is a is a is a, you know that sort of that sort of pleasant bubble um, you're not the only one. I mean, you know, this is not the only place that felt that bubble. I mean, people, professionals who were paid to, like, figure out where we're going to end up at the end of an election cycle, they they got it so completely wrong. And there's a, so there's a lot of, um, I don't know, there's a lot of soul searching right now about this stuff. It is funny if you look at the breakdown of how the votes went, even in Iowa, if you look at the towns that went like Democratic versus Republican, it was Cedar Rapids, it was Des Moines, it was Iowa City. Those Mm -hmm. were the people who voted Hillary. And those are the people where you have concentrated populations of young kids who have been educated on diversity and all of those sorts of social issues. And that's where I feel like that's where those bubbles were. Mm -hmm. And people underestimated how many people there were outside of those bubbles, I think, specifically in Midwestern states. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, because um, the Washington Post, uh, among others, did a roundup of some of the the surprising statistics that came out of exit polls. And see, these were a few that I found interesting. You guys can, you know, if you if you read similar articles, um, I'd like to hear more. Um, There was no surge of women voters. That was one of the conclusions. Uh, Clinton's 12 point lead over Trump among women was pretty close to the lead that Obama had uh, over uh, over Romney in, in 2012 with women. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Um, they uh, the post article says it was it, this was a change election and Trump was the candidate um, who was the he, Trump was the change candidate, basically. Uh, one in three voters thought that the country was going in the right direction. Um, and it turns out that um, Obamacare, which in October, basically, it turned out that uh, people were um, the, the average premium for people in the federal federal insurance exchanges would rise by um, around 25 percent on average. And that was that definitely had some sort of effect because Obamacare turned out to be an important issue. Um, what I found most surprising was that it's four in 10 had a favorable opinion of Donald Trump. Only one in three said he was honest and trustworthy. 30, 38% he was qualified, said he was qualified to be president. 35% uh, said he has the temperament to be president. Um, and yet, here we are. So I guess what I'm, I, what, you know, I started wondering was, well, why are we, I think a lot of people were wondering, well, if that's the case, how did we get here? You know, if only if 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 only a small number of voters thought, he, you know, President Trump, good idea. How did we arrive at this place? Um, there I have a couple of thoughts on this. One of them. So I, I know a number of people that I think are ordinarily, you know, good people and very reasonable individuals. And they, you know, they told me uh, and all of them basically told me in confidence, you know, I vote I voted for Donald Trump. And so. Um, I started to kind of think about what they had in common. And I think, you know, a number of them, actually all of them were, were essentially single issue voting. They said, you know, I'm single issue voting basically on the Supreme Court um, or about, you know, uh, financial. They, they think that somehow Republicans are better for, you know, the economy, the economy. Um, and and. So, you know, I hear that and I, I think um, the, the unfortunate thing about this is that you can't, 
you know, you can't really be like, well, I'm only voting for their fiscal policy. I'm not voting for their, you know, oppressing uh, everyone who's not, you know, cis, white, Christian, male. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not voting for them to throw people under the bus. I want. Um, yeah, because you're going to get the whole package. Yeah, but anyway, I so I, I started thinking about that, you know, and I thought, well, this is a good handful of people that I think, you know, like eight, ten of my friends who, who you know, thought that that was the way to do it. And we had talked about this sort of flipping the table notion that people were like, well, I'm pissed off at the status quo. I just want something else, um, the sort of protest vote. And so he was able to, to do that. Um, to sort of fulfill that need for people. Can you guys sympathize with that idea? To, well, to the, to the idea that, you know, I'm going to walk into this room and flip the table in, in my anger and like go, okay, deal with that. What do you mean by sympathize? Are you saying? I, I guess what I'm saying is like, I, I, it's a leading question in a, a little yeah. bit because I can sort of sympathize with this. Um, I can see where it comes from. Yeah, I mean, I, I can. I. I mean, from my own life, uh, I don't. Agree, you know, like from my own life, I. There are times when I feel not in control of my life because other people have my destiny in their hands, and when I appeal to them, uh, you know, maybe I express, maybe I write to my my uh, elected representative, and I say. You know, this is how I feel about this issue. And I get back a canned response months later that says, yeah, no, I don't really agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's hard not to feel like it's hard to feel like you're being listened to. It's hard to feel like people are paying attention to you. And, and, and you know, at, at the same time, I'm 46 year old white male. Um, so, you know, I'm being listened to. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, like I, I'm I'm privileged. You know, 46 year old white male, heterosexual. Um, I have every advantage. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I rec- I feel very strongly that, you know, my my elected representatives don't necessarily listen to me um, and that uh, maybe, you know, lo- lo- money is too big a, a factor um, and those kinds of things. And that's, I think, to some extent, what. The the uh, the people who um, basically protest voted were saying, I, I, th- I th- if I could reinterpret your question, I think what you're saying is like, can a non marginalized group of individuals feel marginalized, and how do we respond to that? The idea of, well, you're not the most marginalized if you are at all. Right. That's what I'm hearing from your question. I think and, kind and of, yeah. Sympathize. I'm, I'm conflicted with you, myself, yeah. basically. They, yeah, so you have a group of individuals that have very strong emotions. Yeah. They feel that they're very valid, whether they are or aren't. They have those emotions. Yeah. And there's a large, they're a large group of people. And also that we've been ignoring yes. that. Um, I don't... I understand where that could come from, but I... So with sympathy, to me, it's there has to be a part of validation to it. And that's why I like hesitate with that of like, I see where those emotions can come from. So if you're plugged into social media and a lot of different things, you can shape your world to whatever you want it to look like. So if you start feeling a little bit kind of oppressed and pushed down, you can really create it that way. So I think there was a lot of people that saw this fantastic change happening and our bodies are sensitized towards change that regardless, if everything's great for you, that little bit that's changing that you're not comfortable with, you're going to blow that up and you're going to focus on it. And I think that was a big part of that here was there was a, a large group of individuals that they said, hey, things are happening and I don't feel like I'm getting my input in there because the focus is in large cities and all these areas. And that's where you had this huge upsurgence of rural America coming out and saying, yeah, we got to shake things up because we're not heard. And I don't know if I, I can't say I sympathize with it because it's what were you losing? Were you losing right. things that infringed upon right. your life? Yeah, yeah. So that's why I, I hide from that word. And I maybe empathize would be a better word. I don't know. I always get those two mixed up. But, but. The, 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 and the tragedy, the real tragedy of this is it exactly what, what I think Mark is talking about here is the, the idea that um, 
people who held essentially privileged status and were for lack of a better term ignorant of that privileged status um uh once that got threatened at all um were really motivated and and really came out in droves and and um you know we already do we i mean the majority of voters who voted voted for the candidate that didn't quote win um they voted for hillary clinton she won the popular vote um but the way our electoral system is set up um is set up in a way that gives disproportionate favor to rural communities it's um, I mean, even look at our Senate, right? So every single state gets two senators, right? So the majority, if you if you took the majority of the population of America, you know, the majority of population of America is in like four states, the vast majority. Yeah. And and so if you look at it from that perspective, um, you know the the quote flyover states have this enormous overrepresentation uh, in a very powerful uh, branch of our government, um, and so to 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 think of it as well, you know, I'm not getting my voice um, is really tragic, you know, because they are they already are having their voice. Their voice is disproportionately. Their voice is the voice, um, but I think parsing voice and way are a big thing too. Yeah. So I'm there's a difference between I'm not having my voice heard, I'm not getting my way. It's and a good I think point. That was a big one. It's a good. It's a good point. It's a good insight. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I so but you know to, I I really have an enormous amount of empathy um, in. Um, sometimes I kind of shock myself with that, that, you know, that I'm able to view someone who's spouting all of this sort of vitriolic hate, hateful stuff and still say, you know, they're a, a vulnerable human being. Um, or at least to wonder why maybe trying to try to put yourself in that position. I don't well, know. and I, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of taking it, uh, a field of what got me on that thought. And that, that was this, um, the, the idea of sort of cognitive errors. And I think, I think we need, I think it's high time we bought, we brought cognitive error into the modern language of humans. And we started talking routinely about things like implicit bias, things like um, just the cognitive errors in general, right? So the idea like confirmation Confirmation bias and things like that. So... The more your brain, your brain wants to be lazy, right? Your brain wants to save its energy as much as possible for thinking and doing tasks. So the more attention that you have to divide, the more you're being distracted, the more input essentially your brain has to filter out, the harder it's going to look for ways of filtering that out, ways of making its life easier, sort of okay, instead of thinking about this complex story of how somebody, you know, stole that woman's handbag, um, I'm just going to think they're evil, right? Or instead of thinking about, you know, why this person's religion or whatever might differ from mine, uh, but but yet they're, they really care about the same things, I'm just going to say, well, they wear a scarf, so that's a problem. Um, or whatever, right? And I, and I mean, uh, the brain just looks for easy labels, easy ways to identify, I mean, you can if you throw the word like liberal or conservative into a conversation, you've already shut down basically everyone everyone's mind because they've they've just tagged onto the label and they've you know uh, and and not and not everyone does it uh, and and not everyone does it all the time, but we all do it some, uh, and in fact we all do it a lot most of the time and and importantly to avoid it takes a conscious effort you know like you've got to you you've got to you know make a strong effort to avoid whatever biases are within you you've got to know that it's there you've got to make an effort and it's not and sometimes it's not an easy effort to make you know because it's hard to know to do something if you don't know that it needs to be done right and i think that that goes back to the I don't remember whose model it is. It's sort of four stages of change. 
Um, first, you have unconscious incompetence. So you aren't you aren't aware that you're messing something up. So like you're just the person who's just screaming in traffic road rage, you know, just road raging, doesn't even recognize that this isn't that this isn't helping. Mm -hmm. OK, then you go to the next stage, which is conscious incompetence. You're screaming at the person who cut you off and then you go, this isn't doing me any good. You realize it in your head, but you're still screaming at them. Mm -hmm. Then you move to conscious competence where you go, oh, man, I just wanted to call that guy an a-hole, but I didn't. That's awesome. And then um, you move into the unconscious competence where you just don't notice that you don't get road rage anymore at all. Right. And so there are these stages of change that you can go through and you can kind of wiggle back and forth. And if you're tired or you're sick or you, you know, da, 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 mm -hmm. uh, you may, you know, sort of regress a little bit. Um, and, you know, everyone intuitively knows about that. They're quote, having a bad day. And that's why they exploded at their friend or their, um, you know, significant other, et cetera. I think it's, it's great that we can talk about this at length, but we also need to recognize that a large portion of the country does not recognize that implicit bias exists and does not care to recognize that implicit bias exists. So that's where you got to start. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's partially an age thing. Like we were educated sure. with yeah. that. We've yeah. been raised to understand and try and work with that. And we have all these diversity conferences and all of these figure out the different parts of yourself and the older generations. I mean, even my grandparents, I think about, what they think about the things Trump says. And, you know, like in the older populations, I don't think I don't think his opinion is is rare, you know, just mm -hmm. because they haven't been raised to understand the diversity. They don't have the exposure that us in the medical field have to marginalized populations like us of all people. We are hyper aware of that, whereas a lot of people in this country aren't. And I feel like that's why it's so hard for medical students to understand is because we are so overly aware of everything going on just keeping in mind what people are exposed to. Like, it's hard to hate someone for not understanding because they don't have the appropriate exposures to understand. Sure, sure. I, so yeah. I think last time I checked, my hometown is 96, 97 maybe percent uh, Caucasian. And I had never met a Muslim or, a, or somebody that was uh, Jewish until college. And it was mind-blowing. <laughs> I, I mean, it was, I, I, I was my idea of religious diversity was like what subset of christianity are you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like oh you go to you go to the lutheran church on the east side of town <laughs> and i mean yeah it, it, if you don't if you, if you don't meet people and interact with people that are different than you it's a hell of a lot easier to see them as devious yeah I mean, I think Rob's point is is the most that's the that's the key thing is that we need to find a way to educate empathy, educate in, in uh, to get people to think about these things, to, to get people to realize that, you know, we're all humans. And I think we all we also need to give people the benefit of the doubt, too. Yeah. We, we can't we can't demean people for trying and not already being there. But. You got to give people the benefit of the doubt. You got you got to let people try to come at things with an open mind if they're willing without without the fear of rejection or ridicule. Because mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I see that I'm I'm probably guilty of it. You know, I saw um, several times in the past uh, couple of days uh, a map of the United States. That depicted how the how the election would have turned out if only people 18 to 25 voted. Did you guys, any of you guys see this? Rob, I know, I'm sure you have. <laughs> I did. Um, and th that result was just blue. Blue states. A couple of red states. To the extent that um, blue equals things that we should believe in specifically like social issues social issues like you know um you know basically positive change uh, uh marriage equality um uh the not believing that 
um, brown people are automatically, you know, suspicious and, you know, should be, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So if we, and I know this is problematic, but if we, if we, <laughs> if we see blue equals, you know, this, <coughs> you know, like, how do I reconcile this with the fact that, you know, there's a lot of flower children who voted for, you know, Trump, <laughs> you know, so, so presumably, you know, people, people from the sixties who, you know, were the peace and love generation, you know, all this kind of stuff. How do we reconcile that with, with the fact that people, um, from that age voted for Donald Trump, who is basically not exactly running on a campaign of inclusion and, and, you know, (laughs) did they change? Why? I just, I had not thought about that. No (laughs) shit. I'm sorry. Uh, Ah. Well, I mean, I was talking about it. With, I was talking about it with somebody earlier this week. I think it might have been Jason. And and uh, you know, basically, you know, the first thing we thought of was, well, those people aren't those people eighteen to twenty five. They aren't making money yet. <laughs> you know, they're not. They don't have a mortgage. They don't have. Uh, a, they may not have a livelihood yet that causes them to contract. And and you know what? I think this is a great. It's a great <clears throat> point. There's a great time to talk about this because we did not see anything during the quote debates um that i think are the pressing issues for the you know millennial and near millennial generation issues i mean if we don't act on climate change if we don't act on you know figuring out how uh mechanization and uh, automation uh we're not we're not going to have either jobs or uh, a world to have those jobs in. And, and uh, you know, uh, there was a quote from someone after the Brexit vote who was just irate. They were pissed off and they were like 17. So they were, you know, weeks away from, from this. And they said, you know, I'm weeks away from being able to vote. And some 90-year-old who may be weeks away from dying is going to leave me to clean up this mess. You know, what we're going to be, our generation is going to be left to deal with the consequences of your action. And you count just as much, if not more, and in that case, infinitely more than me. But you can, you know, ignore the fact that the the U.S. Department of Labor says 50% of jobs by 2050 will be automatable, if not already automated. Uh, And they tend to be very conservative in their predictions. That's the thing is when you vote, are you voting for you or are you voting for the people younger than you? Like bottom line, those people were voting for what was immediately better for them. You know, they they mm-hmm. pro- maybe they aren't thinking about, oh, well, maybe the 20 year olds do want birth control and all of these things. You, you vote for the issues that are relevant to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, renewable energy, if you're 80 years old, it's not going to matter for you. It's going to matter for your grandkids. So you just got to hope that they think of that. But I think it's it's important too to establish that. No demographic has more worth than others in terms of I mean, yes yes some will be on the planet longer than others but i guarantee you we will mess some we will we will be wrong on things oh yeah yeah it, it I mean, so there i mean like i'm not gonna we can't place blame on on age groups um but we do have to accept the consequences of sure the fact yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah yeah you know people who are older and who have had the opportunity, you know, who have, you know, and we're worried about things like estate taxes and things like that and, and income taxes and stuff like well, that, that they get devil's to, advocate with the estate tax. That would be them looking towards the next generation. So that kind of flips. Right. But I, I mean, it's not a estate tax isn't, a re, isn't as relevant to you. You know, if you're, if you're in so, terms of your own, maybe your inheritance, but not what you're leaving behind. Right. Yeah. And if let's, you're younger and let's face it, uh, you know, I don't think this election was decided on estate tax and how much. (laughs) At least not like an actual understanding of it. (laughs) I'm just saying there's a lot of subtle things there of like, you know, that's not going to affect me because I will inherently be dead when it affects me. Yeah, fair. That's fair enough. And you do have to vote for yourself. Like what's going to matter to me? So, yeah, it's nice when you can vote for yourself and also feel good about like, (laughs) yeah, about like how it will impact others. I guess here's another um thing that I kept reading about 
or that I've been reading about in more in the last day or so than than earlier when people were kind of in shock. Um, and that is, uh, well, the election is what it is. Let's move on. Let's unite and move on. Uh, you know, and, and the one way that I heard about this was, um, you know, from, a, you know, a, a, somebody I know on Facebook who has a fair amount of money, a lot of money, um, and who is basically saying, you know, all these people who uh, want to throw over the Electoral College, you know, the Electoral College was put in place for, a, a, you know, a reason, um, you know, it's, you know arguing that you need to change the rules because you don't like the outcome doesn't make any sense. Um, let's unite and move on. Fuck yeah, it. I'm not sure what you mean by move. Like, just go about your day? I couldn't really tell uh, exactly what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I would like to hope that... I mean, this is not a... Uh, I would like to hope that um, what that meant was figure out another solution. Mm. Um, but I don't know. Um, but I, I keep hearing this whole, like, like, you know, let's move on. We gotcha. cannot change the outcome. Gotcha. Um, I think in sense of not changing the outcome, perhaps that's fine. But one of the guys that I really like listening to Robert Reich. Mm -hmm. Um, so really interesting perspectives. Um, a lot of which, if you asked me five, six years ago, I'm fundamentally against I was, but now I just, I, I line up with a lot of what he says. And one of the things he says was this. You got to reflect. Where are we now? And, you know. How do we get here? Yeah, blame aside. It's not one of those things. It's just the idea of there is a big division in terms of, like, fundamental ideas of what goodness is, of what goodness is in terms of a political direction. So how does the Democratic Party, or any party for that matter, reflect whatever that goodness is? And it's not necessarily the success of one party over the other, but the flip of that is also the failure of the party you identified with as a Democrat to not get what you thought was mm -hmm. the ideal. And I thought that was, and if that's moving on, then I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely true. I think that's super valid. Like, I'm going to focus less on the disgruntled individual that kind of flipped the table because they don't know what they want. They just want something different. And I get that. So how do I incorporate their concerns and fears with what I can best ascertain as goodness? And I thought that was a really insightful, like, thought process of, it's the, and that is inclusion. It's the idea of, yeah, I'm going to move in a moral direction that I believe is correct. And that's, I mean, I have to do that to live with myself. At the same time, staying open and saying, all right, how do I incorporate your concerns with that? And that should appeal to a broad base. And, and I think, you know, I think if you use that light, that you can, you can, um, you can see why, and I, I'm not to 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 drag the bernie sanders thing into this but <laughs> but when when they were polling head to head um it was always much closer and rare that that clinton would beat trump um but bernie would handily beat trump um when they were polling head to head it's also important to point out that uh when those polls <clears throat> were taken in previous elections at that time, those polls were not at all predictive of the outcome. So, so you have that, and you also you also have to you know put in put in the context of what like what is the narrative telling us? What is what was Bernie's narrative? What was Trump's narrative? What what worked about it? What were the things to which they were appealing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think I think you know both Trump and Bernie were were appealing to populism. They were saying, look, here is you know, the, the 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 deck is stacked against you. You know, it's all Washington insiders and they all, you know, they care more about doing their thing, their lobbying stuff. So they both had that sort of message in common. I'm not one of them. But, and I want to represent the people. But then the question was, how did they do that? If you look at it through that lens, then I think, you know, you can get a better sense of what did people what were people more likely voting for? Because if you look at like the, like, um, I think Trump actually carried more, he carried more Latino voters, for example, than was it Obama in the last election? Or he took a bunch of them off away from 
Obama. So so that is to say Obama carried more Latino voters than Hillary did. Mm. Right. So it can't all be this sort of white, you know, white supremacy narrative that that accounts for it. Um, and I think and probably we got we got we got to be we got to be real careful here. We are not at all suggesting that the vast majority of people that voted for Donald Trump are white supremacists. That is a right. subset of a subset. Right. But and I think well, I think that the under I mean, part of the undertone there, there's a lot of difficult, <laughs> difficult implications of of arrows there. Right. Like like I was saying, you know, you can't you can't really separate this message. One of the messages that he's carried from a vote, you know, a vote for Trump is a vote for Trump regardless of what your intention was that being said yes most people's intention was not because they're a white supremacist and i think that was my you know that was my personal experience while i don't you know while i know a, a dozen people who voted for him or so um that you know none of them were doing it because they were white supremacists now that that being said like that's a big that's been a big narrative i think you know that that racism or bias like in that sense had a big factor to play and i think the better way to read that i think is that 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 we have instead um the sort of populist notion that it was people who are saying look this is an insider you know uh, hillary clinton bill i mean bill clinton strongly supported nafta um which really hurt american industry uh, very badly right so there's a lot of people there who who still feel you know upset about that um, and who would refuse to support that um, because again you know that hurt jobs that hurt their livelihood mm -hmm. but I, I want to say one more I want to say one more thing about the move on idea and that is that the problem with that idea is that there are people who because of the segment of the population that is indeed you know racist or ist in some way there are people who now feel like they're in actual danger and it's really difficult to move on when you feel like you're in danger whether that's in danger physically whether that's in danger whether your human rights are at stake whether you know it, it's it's hard to move on right now and i want to i just want to acknowledge that update. i'm going to take this one real quick go for um, it I have, a, I have a very good friend. He is in his 40s, and he had a coworker tell him uh, either today or yesterday that he didn't respect his marriage because he's married to a man, and that wouldn't have happened before Tuesday. So we need, we need to be real clear, and I think that we will get this right. There is no room in this country for that kind of attitude, um, and it is not welcome here at the University of Iowa. And since we're all pre-meds here, let me be clear, we include everyone, we respect everyone, and that's what we're building here. So um, that's, uh, keep that in mind. Absolutely. And I was, I was, I was going to say, Dave, like, I think the people that I've seen say that, that kind of stuff, it's just, they're just trying to diplomatically say, shut up. Who say, move on, move on, get over it. You lost. I, yeah, I, I you th uh, I'm not it's, sure. I'm not as sure. I'm not saying that everyone who says it is, but the people that I've seen that say it, that's what they're doing. That's tough because I'm in a weird spot because I have been here for the past six years. I am a heterosexual, white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed female. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, I'm not diverse, but I see how it's affecting people and it's awful to watch. And on one hand, I'm like, all right, you know, I want to stop. And I do, I feel horrible for the potential implications this could have. And I do have faith that we have these, this checks and balances system and that everything is going to work out because I'm an optimist and that's who I am. But it, there's, one thing, it's hard because all I have seen on Facebook and all I've heard at school is, did you hear this person voted for Trump? Oh my God, I can't be their friend anymore. I can't look at them the same. And it's like, 
we do live in America because you're allowed to have opinions and you have to hope that if someone voted for Trump, especially in like our generation, you know, 20s, mm-hmm. you have to think that they saw some good or that they were raised by parents who are strictly conservative. You know, you have to think they weren't voting to hate on people who are LGBTQ. They weren't voting to hate on minorities because we especially here, that's what we're all about. We're all about helping everyone no matter where they're from. And so I do think we need to move on from the stage where we are raging at each other and picking sides because that's not what this should be about ever and move on to that stage where it's like, let's reflect on the potential implications this could have. Let's think mm. about what could be good. Like, let's look at Trump's new health care plan. You know, maybe it would be good to get rid of state borders and issues with insurance. I struggled with that with the Mexican population all summer with my migrant workers. That was a huge thing. Like, let's look at how that could benefit this marginalized population I worked with all summer. That health care, that component of his health care plan could really benefit them and get them like the psych needs that they needed this summer, you know, I couldn't help them this summer because they didn't have insurance. So if you look at things like that and find those positives, I think we need to move on from the raging mad stage to the, you know what, let's find the good, let's reflect on the the potential bad and let's prepare for those. But let's also look at what's good and try and pull those out because Mm. we're never going to be able to move on if we don't start finding something good because bottom line, we are with this for four years. So we got to... And yeah, I told... That's... a definition of move on that that i feel like i can get behind the other the other thing i've been thinking about is okay you know how can i how can i move on by contributing to the world in which i live um you know like i voted the way that i felt was the right way to vote the the way to contribute to the world in which i live to contribute to the way in which my the, the world in which my children live um now that i see this outcome and 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 don't feel comfortable with it how can i continue to do things in the next 4 years before my next vote comes up in midterm you know midterm elections whatever how how can i continue to do how can i start doing things more actively to make my world what i think is a better place and that's kind of what i'm thinking about now like i i've decided that you know, personally, I'm gonna the, I'm gonna start thinking about that. There's a fundamental question, though, Dave, with what you think the world is a, and by world, it's talking about United States. Yeah, yeah. You think the United States is a better place may not fit with another group of people. Yeah, I know, so, but and that's what I'm saying. But we make our like, choices locally, right? So yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we take Rob's example from earlier? So, you know, if you're standing in the office and you hear this man say, you know what, I don't think your marriage is acceptable, then you as a bystander need to walk up and say, you know, why do you think that's okay to say? Like, yeah. why are you making this an unsafe, like an uncomfortable workplace for the rest of the, of us? And you got to stand up for the people that you see being marginalized if that becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. And you have so to do like, it and you have to do it in as respectful a way as possible. Yeah. Uh, because you know, if you don't, then you're just shouting people down. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not going to listen to you. Well, yeah. But this is the perfect opportunity for us to start really being active bystanders and standing up for yeah. the people yeah. who need stood up for. And we should acknowledge, yeah, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy to... Yeah, I'm... N- but but we got to do it. We got to do it. I'm not a confrontational person. You know, like, I actively avoid confrontation. If I to see two people arguing, I may turn around and walk the other way just because I don't want to be near them. Mm-hmm. That's... <laughs> that may Maybe that's not a good idea. Um, it, it, I'm speaking metaphorically, mm-hmm. but you, you know what I'm saying. Like, maybe yeah. I have to become a more active player if I want a certain outcome. I want to play... A thought that so 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 funny thing. Uh, Monday, I decided to start an experiment uh, uh, for the podcast, which is basically like asking people every week to, um, you know, re- record for a couple of minutes something that they were thinking about. So this is Monday, um, and I provided a prompt, you know, like, oh, you know, tell me what would you do if you had an extra day in your life, and you know, like, and then Tuesday happened, and uh, you know. Turns out that that <laughs> prompt was like, just sounds, you know, a little, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, trite <laughs> at this point. Um, our friend Casey uh, did contribute something after the election. And um, maybe this is helpful. 
Okay, medical professionals everywhere, listen up. I am terrified and crushed, as I'm sure most, if not all of you are. But here's the thing. This morning, I had to get up and be at the hospital, ready with my patients, 7 a.m., because they are still getting cancer, they're still having kidney injuries, they're still having heart attack, and they need us to be there for them, even when it sucks. That's not to say that we can't take time for ourselves, because we should, and we need it too. But that is to say that we have the strength and we have the opportunity opportunity to go out into a world filled with so much shit and just keep on caring about people. That's what we have right now. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. At least that's what I'm holding on to. So if you can get wrapped up in going out and helping someone and spreading some knowledge and spreading some compassion today and tomorrow and every day for the rest of your lives, that's what you have to do to keep this from getting worse, to keep this from happening again, and to keep from being crippled in the face of when it does happen. Casey's, I think, talking about moving on. But she's too, this is kind of a shift to that, spreading knowledge and compassion. I think that's a big part of understanding. And that's what, when Amy was making her point, and that's one thing that I think about often, is the idea of, when we talk about making differences, when so, so let's circle all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, when we were saying, understanding voters. Not necessarily issues, but the thing is, voters vote on issues. So did they, the average Trump supporter, probably not an actively white supremacist, actually definitely not an active white supremacist individual. So there was key issues. What were those ones? And are there ones, is there compromise in those areas? So that's one thing of like, there's some, that there's kind of not compromise. So in terms of equal marriage for all, it's, where is the compromise there? Because I feel like that is it. It's equal marriage for all and that kind of, so there's a line there and that's one thing I think about. So if you see something happening, it's easy to say, hey, before that occurs, why did you vote for Trump? And if it's a fiscal argument or this or that, I say, I get it. The challenge is that when you witness those things as a Trump supporter, stand up. And that's awesome because we can work with these fiscal things. There's tons of wiggle room there, but there's some things we can't work with. And that's what I wonder with this large swath of individuals that kind of came out of nowhere and blindsided you know a lot of polls is what were those fundamental things and how much compromise is realistic there because there's some things that i kind of won't bend on mm -hmm. like that yeah i just i i think compromise tends to be a good word and people like it but there's some things and it's almost a cultural discussion of saying like yeah inclusiveness and tolerance is important but there are lines of things that i and that's a personal belief that where i say i i'm not okay with that and that's if you were to take female genital mutilation, that is a cultural practice. And there's some people that it is very valued in that practice. But I would draw a line and say, no, I think that's morally wrong. And I'm not willing to compromise on that. So what is that on the other side? Where's their line? And is it too big of a divide? It's, I don't know, it's something I think about often. And I think a cultural kind of metaphor to that, when you draw the, because there's things that it's okay. Of, hey, I'll tolerate, well, and that's what I'm saying, I'll tolerate your lifestyle. And that's one thing to say. But there's certain things that I say, no, I'm, I'm not just going to allow that to occur. I will dread, like female gentlemen, I, I do want that to end everywhere. I'll actively work for it. Yeah. So people on the other side, is that where they're coming from? It's not the idea of, I'll let you do you and I'll do me. It's, I want to actively end your lifestyle because I can't work with that. And is that the issue? Because I could be totally straw manning, you know, a Republican slash Trump supporting. Turns out that wasn't the issue at all. It was something totally different. I don't know. But I think that's if that's the move on discussion of saying, let's be knowledgeable and compassionate with others and ourselves, that's where you can grow. Just make those conversations yeah. more mature and more meaningful well, than yeah. this anger. And I, I think a big thing that we need to remember um, is, you know, those labels, those labels can be real dangerous because it shuts down your thinking. Right. Like once you once I know this person is a blank then I don't have to think about who they are. And the reality is um, we are all way more complicated than any one label or any handful or maybe all labels could cover, right? And I, and, and I feel like almost everyone knows this, but it's very hard to keep that in mind. And so, like, I, I have found myself recently getting very good at realizing, like, oh, you know, somebody posts something on Facebook and I don't agree with it. I'm not just going to rage out on them because when I think about it, I post a lot of things and I don't always 100% agree with everything that I post. 
you know, but I, it's very hard to have a substantive discussion. I'm not going to write two paragraphs and expect, you know, like qualifying what I do and don't believe about it, you know, and, and furthermore, even if I did, would you read it? And furthermore, even if I did that, that's not a discussion. Like I can have a discussion <laughs> about someone. I remember I very, you know, very, um, a, a very pro-life friend of mine, you know, we had like a 90 minute discussion about it once it was very heated. I mean, there was name calling and shouting at one point in it, but we, we drove towards civility and I think we really reached uh, more common understanding and that blew my mind. It's funny. The things that you, you you know, you can have a conversation, quote unquote conversation on social media, right? But if you're having a conversation in person, at least, an argument in person it it's often it, it it often happens that you have a moment to say wait a minute let's take a step back from this you know we're getting entirely too personal we're getting entirely too heated to have a normal rational conversation uh, you know I, I let's move in you know a slightly different direction and that can happen i don't think that happens as often online um because it's too easy to go, well, I'm done with this conversation, you know, and, and, and go somewhere else. Look, uh, we've kind of run out of time for today. I would like to hope that we've at least had a thoughtful discussion today about um, this, the events of this week, what the future holds in store for us. Um, and next week, I'm sure we'll return to our usual silly bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I hope you have gotten something out of what we said today. And if you have any responses, any any responses at all to what we've said, um, to the opinions you've heard today, even if you think we're crazy, I, I would like to hear about it. Here's a way you can contribute to the show. Go to our Facebook page where every week we're going to ask you to do what Casey did. Send in your thoughts on whatever topic you like. Uh, every Monday we'll offer, we'll offer that prompt, that trite, stupid prompt to get you started but if that's not what you want to talk about you can ignore it in favor of whatever it is you want to say think of yourself as a short code correspondent because um, I, I do want to include more voices I think that's important after the events of this week the show is made possible by a generous donation from the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine um, student government and the writing and humanities program our executive producer is Jason Lewis our opening music is by Dr. Vox and our closing music is by AgriFox we'll be back next week